Amen. I want to read uh, James 4. I'm going to read 11 through 17, and then we'll kind of um, hop back and kind of take it a little bit at a time. So James 4, 11 through 17. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. There's a couple different themes that James mentions in this passage. But let's not lose sight of the prevailing theme that James mentions in that chunk of scripture I just read. And the prevailing theme is this. Love for God and love for others. The great commandments. Let's jump back to verse 11. And we'll kind of go through it a little at a time. James 4.11. Do not speak against one another. That word speak against one another. That Greek word katalaleo is translated as this. To speak evil against one. To speak badly of or tell lies about someone in order to damage their reputation. No wonder James is a broken record in the theme of maturity. In the theme of growing. This theme about not slandering someone and not slamming someone and not talking bad about them to tear down their, their reputation. Good Lord. That, that begins as soon as kids can talk. And then it gets worse in middle school. It kind of hits a crazy, ridiculous peak of insecurity in middle school. And friends, I'm convinced that that's what it is. When we tear someone down, it's insecurity. We tear someone down to build ourselves up. If I make this person look bad, I in some way will look good. It, is that just not the height of maturity? I said it hits a, a peak in middle school. But friends, it doesn't go away until we're intentional about growth and giving this to the Lord. It doesn't. This message that James is bringing is not to a youth group. It's to, the, it's to a church full of adults. He's going, stop. Stop slandering one another. Stop slamming one another. Stop judging one another. You ain't the judge. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, the, the law, the law, the law, what law is James talking about? Is, is he talking about a municipal code? Is he talking about a, a list of 700 and something religious laws that no man could keep? When he's talking about the law, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. And Jesus fulfilled the great commandment of loving God and loving others. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. 
There's only one lawgiver, capital L, lawgiver, and judge, capital J, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The law that James is speaking of, the disciples spoke of it and Jesus spoke of it. In Matthew chapter 22, a question was asked, Teacher, what is the great commandment law. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Your soul is made up of your your will, your mind, your emotions, your thoughts. And with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How is that commandment fulfilled? It was first fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Loving his Father to the point of obedience and death, death upon the cross. It was first fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But friends, it is to be constantly fulfilled by you and I. This commandment to love God and then to love others is not just a commandment that was limited to Jesus, nor was it fulfilled only by Jesus. It is to be fulfilled by you and I and the church. And this is why James is driving this home. I went to the hospital today to see Emma. And I discovered the craziest thing. It was ridiculous. Emma, as cute as she is, can't even walk. She was born yesterday. She's a baby. And she couldn't walk. I didn't believe it at first. I tested it out. I put her on the ground. I'm like, come on. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. (laughs) Learning how to walk is something we learn to do. Walking is something we learn to do. We're not born with it. And when we give our lives to Christ, we're not born with the innate ability to know how to walk it out. Walking in faith. And walking, loving others takes practice. And it takes demonstration. And it doesn't always come easy or naturally. It comes through intentional effort. Loving God comes through intentional effort of being with Him, of coming into His presence, of drawing near to Him, and then He draws near to us. And there in His presence, amazing things happen. Loving others doesn't always come naturally. There's some of you in this room, it does come naturally. You don't know what I'm talking about. You're just lovers. You love, 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 love. But most of us, it's it's not that way. It takes effort. It takes intentionality for me to love others. And what James is saying here is, be intentional about, about keeping your mouth shut and speaking harm against others and judging them. Let God be God. And you reflect God. You reflect His love. You demonstrate His love. Did you know that you and I have a debt? According to Paul, you and I owe something. We have a debt. And I'll go so far as to say this. That debt was not taken by Jesus. So obviously you know I'm not talking about the debt of sin because that was taken by Jesus on the cross. So what am I talking about? Let's see. Romans 13. 
Verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. This is our debt, friends. This is what we owe. Love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit uh, adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus paid our debt of sin, but he did not pay our debt of love. We still owe that. Do you guys hear that? Does that make sense? He paid our debt of sin, but he did not pay our debt of love. It is still owed. We owe it to show love, to love God and to love others. In Matthew 22, Jesus summarized the law as love for God and neighbor. And here Paul says that that love demonstrated towards a neighbor actually fulfills the law of love. So when we fail to love, what are we doing? When we fail to love, what are we doing? Friends, when we fail to love, we're in sin. And we, if you have trusted your life in Jesus Christ, when we fail to love, we are in willful disobedience to God. How crazy is that? See, too often we've written off love as something that, you know, if, if I'm a, you know, touchy-feely, mushy, you know, kind of, you know, person that I love, you know, but if I'm not, that's okay. I can support. And I can sharpen. We are all called to love. Every single one of us. There's a world out there that needs to see that we walk the walk and not just talk the talk, that we love God. How do they see that? we got to demonstrate it and they got to see it. And part of that seeing it is experiencing it by us loving each other and us loving them. Bickering and backstabbing and biting and judging and all that crap. It takes place in the church far too often. Not about the church universal. It happens here, it happens there, it happens everywhere. That doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean that we sit by and idly allow sin in our lives, just like Brad drove home last week. We cannot tolerate sin. We cannot be flippant about sin. And friends, we cannot be flippant about just allowing love to just kind of haphazardly happen. As part of this debt to our neighbors, we must examine our attitudes. We must examine our actions. Faith without works is dead. Faith without actions... So we need to examine our attitudes and our actions toward others. You guys, do we build people up or do we tear people down? Do we encourage them and lift them up and speak life into them and, and come alongside them? Or do we tear them down? Every year in May... Me and the kids get in the car on an early morning and we drive up to Fort Collins on a Sunday morning and we have a map of different locations where Kara is going to come running by for the Colorado Half Marathon. And while we're waiting for Kara, 
You know what we do? We encourage strangers. Nice. Attaboy, keep it up. Atta girl, great job. You're looking good, looking strong. You can do it. Then another wave comes. Keep it up, looking good, looking strong. You can do it. You got it, you got it, you got this. And then we get in the car and the car comes by and we go nuts. Ah, baby, you're awesome, mommy. And then she goes past us and we get in the car and we drive the speed limit to the next spot. And then we get out of the car and we run to where she's going to be and we see the same group of strangers for the most part because they kind of run in that you know pack. And we're like, you're still looking good. You're doing awesome. You can do this. Keep it up. And then when Kara comes, we lose our minds again. Yeah, baby. You look awesome, mommy. And we get in the car and we do it again and then we do that until we get the finish line. And every year we have strangers coming up to us going, oh, that's so awesome. We love seeing you, you know, cheer, you know, cheer for, for your wife, for your mom. That's, Thank you for, for cheering us on. And as you're running and you're cheering on strangers, they'll acknowledge, acknowledge, they'll kind of wave. And Do we tear down or we build up? What are we intentional about? And do we feel stupid about doing so? The first couple of years, I think my kids were really embarrassed of me as I was doing that. They're like, Dad, we don't know them. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that we don't know them. Why do we feel stupid about building someone up? I think it goes back to that same stupid insecurity thing that we have as children. Well, if I build someone up and someone that makes me, that acknowledges my flaws, isn't that a lie of the enemy? Isn't that a lie of the enemy? If I build someone else up, then somehow that exposes my flaws? Guys, that's the most ridiculous lie. But it permeates our lives until we're intentional about stopping it. You know what? When I, when I encourage these men about preaching the word of God, that, that makes all of us stronger. That does nothing but bring life. When we encourage one another, you know, uh, Melody, Kimberlyn, she's not here, you know, they're off in a little getaway, um, but she's lost like an awesome amount of weight. And she looks awesome. When we encourage her and go, you look amazing, keep it up. Good job. You look fantastic. How many sizes are you down? You know, what's just well done. That builds her up and encourages. Do we do that or do we tear down? When we're on the verge of criticizing or judging someone. We must remember God's law and do what? Love. When we're on the verge of criticizing or tearing down or judging someone to them or to ourselves or to others. And we do all of them. That sorry chump of a boss. You know, we're talking to ourselves. Honestly, if at that point we in some way stop and build them up, or build her up. Something happens. If we show goodness, if we show blessing, showing goodness and blessing actually does two pretty amazing things. It cures us of finding fault and it increases our ability to obey God's law. It cures us of finding fault. Let's be the ones to put ourselves in check. Let's be the ones to police our mouth and our thoughts. It increases our ability 
to obey God's law. And what is God's law? It's not a trick question. We've gone over it like 18 times. What's God's law? Very good class. James 4.13 Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business to make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him is sin. I know we just started talking about money, started about making a profit, moving to another city, but James is still on the theme of showing love. And he's saying, you know better. And if you don't do it, it is sin. Oftentimes people miss this point because they immediately shift to some other morbid thought about our mortality and being a vapor and, and fading away. James is still on the same point. As a people, we are. We are capable of greatness. We are capable of doing great things, of accomplishing great feats. In our planning, and our persistence, and our dedication, in our skills, and our execution, we can accomplish huge goals. And usually for those huge goals that we have, we are willing to make huge sacrifices. For those huge goals that we have, that we've set for ourselves in our future, we're oftentimes worried, or, or not worried, we're willing to, to make huge sacrifices. Let's start a business with this widget, with this thing in mind. We can come to market with it. We can be the first people to market with it. Let's go. There's the potential in this widget, the potential for great richness. But even if we don't become filthy, stinking rich, there's still a very high possibility that we make a profit. So who's with me? But, well, hold on. But, I owe it to you to let you know that there's a sacrifice that's needed. Each investor is going to have to give $10,000 so we can bring this widget to market. It's a sacrifice. But think about the profits. And we also, each investor will be required to move to Dallas for a year. It's a great city. It's about a 14-hour drive. Not too bad. I'm not saying you've got to uproot your families. It's only a year. So at worst, you're away from your family for a year. But if you want to uproot them, you can go you know, plant them in schools and we'll make our money and then move back. So who's with me? There's no real guarantee of success. But isn't it worth it if there's the probability of success? Isn't a sacrifice worth it if there's a probability of financial gain? We've got a great product. We've got the brains, the brawn, the bank to make this widget a success. So who's with me? Oh, you in the back. You got a question? Did, did God tell me to start this company in 
sell this widget? Well, let me counter with the question. Doesn't God want us to be successful? Doesn't God want my family, I mean, or our family to make a lot of money and be blessed? What's that? I didn't answer your question. Did God tell me to do it? Well, when you make it sound like that, Mark, it sounds kind of crummy. Friends, do we include God in our plans or do we just merely ask Him to support our plans? Do we? Do we include Him? Do we ask Him what He wants? Do we ask Him what His will is? Or do we just, we just expect Him to bless our ventures without having gone to Him? Did I pray about it? Not yet. I'll, I'll, I'm going to pray about it, though. <laughs> you better believe I will. Probably on way to the airport to fly out to Dallas. But I'll, I'll sure, I'll pray about it. Who's with me? What links are we willing to go to to do things that might enhance our lives in different ways? And the answer to that is most of us are willing to go to pretty big links and deprive ourselves of certain things and make certain sacrifices. And I'm not saying that's all bad. But are we willing to go to the links of being intentional about saying kind things about people so that God is benefited, so that there's a profit in the kingdom of God? Are we willing to make those sacrifices of our emotions and of our pride and of our conveniences so that God is glorified? Are we That's what James is saying here. You've got all these great plans. Do you submit any of them to the Lord? And, by the way, you know what you're supposed to do and you're not doing it. And it's sin. And what what God's asking you to do is not to move to Dallas and to invest $10,000 and leave your family for a year. He's asking you to love others and to, to build them up and to encourage them. Friends, if we don't find our identity in Christ, there's nothing we're going to do on this earth that's going to validate us so much that we feel like a stud, like a man, like a champ. We don't find our identity in the things we do in this world. We find our identity in Christ. We love God. We love others. You guys, we're not supposed to justify our plans to, to the Lord and ask Him to jump on board. We're supposed to seek Him first. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Seek Him first. Seek Him first. We seek Him first. James 4.4, 4, the first part says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Guys, one of the ways that we can tell if we're having an affair with the world is if we don't consult God about our plans. That's a good indication that we're very worldly minded if we're not seeking Him and submitting our plans to the God to, to the Lord. Me personally, the times that I haven't submitted my plans to the Lord, one of the main reasons I haven't done it is because I don't think I wanted to hear His answer. I didn't want to do what I think he was going to tell me to do. And so I just asked him to bless my efforts and plowed right through. 
really worked well. James 4.16 But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You guys, living our lives without consulting God is the epitome of arrogance. It's the epitome of boasting. Arrogance defined by Webster is this. Having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one of one's own importance or abilities. An exaggerated sense of one's importance. Yeah, that I've been there. Synonyms of arrogance, haughty, conceited, self-important, egotistic, full of oneself, superior. Antonyms, modest and humble. Another theme that James drives home. Because boasting is an arrogant attitude that we are in control of our lives. Humility is a submitted attitude that says, no, God, I give you my life. I trust you with all. I submit my plans to you. Lord, I I, want to do your will. I want to do your ways. And I want to do it by your means. Boasting is sin. You guys have probably heard this before. There's sins of commission and sins of omission. Omission are the sins we commit. The things that we willfully or intentionally do. The sins we commit. Sins of omission are the things we omit. The things we fail to do. The things we're passive about. The things we're flipping about. And we find ourselves neglectful of being obedient to God. Neglectful of seeking God. Neglectful of pursuing God. Why do we talk so much about intentionality? Why do we talk so much from from this pulpit, no matter who's up here being redundant, why do we talk so much about being intentional? Because when we're intentional about serving God, it takes away room for us to be careless in our service to the Lord. When we're passive or unintentional, there's room for sin. So we're just simply removing that. We've got to be intentional about getting into God's presence and humbling ourselves in His presence. And what's, what's the result of us humbling ourselves in God's presence. What's the consequence of humbling ourselves in God's presence? James 4, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will do what? He will exalt you. He will lift you up. The King exalts us. The King exalts me by me simply humbly coming into His presence. And submitting myself before Him. Submitting my life and my plans and my ways. The King exalts me. And when He exalts me, you know what's awesome? Others get to see how much my King, my God, my Father loves me. When He exalts me, others get to see me. And they get to see how much God loves me. They get to see how much I love God. And then I get to go out to those people and say, Oh, He loves you too. You're so awesome. God loves you. 
guys, there's many types of prophet. There's many types of prophet in this world. There's many types of gain. There's many things to be gained. The Bible says that the plans and the ways that God has for us are good. It also reminds us that He is good and only good. We don't ever have to feel like we're being shortchanged for something by not running to the Lord, by not trusting in God. I don't lack any good thing in my life. I don't have everything. There's a lot of things that the world might say I'm lacking, but I lack no good thing from my Father. And when I go through difficulties, I certainly don't lack peace because I run to Him. And in His presence, you know what I find? It's ridiculously amazing. You know what I find when I run to His presence in the midst of a storm? I find peace. When I'm weary and I run to Him, you'll never guess what I find in His presence. Rest. When it's turmoil, absolute chaos in my life, and I just can't make things fit, and I run to Him, it's ridiculous what I find. Peace. I'm assured of this. God will provide for all of my needs, but not, not all of my wants. That's not a promise I was given. A couple weeks ago, I talked about, you know, a boat. That's a want, not a need. If God calls me to a boating ministry, then it's a need. God hasn't called me to a boating ministry. God provides my needs. And in my life submitted to Him, all the wants that... They just they seem so unimportant in his presence. Are you guys hearing me? I'm talking about humility. We're called to be a people of humility, to walk in strength. There's nothing weak about humility. There's nothing weak about meekness. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You want the enemy to flee from your lives? Then humbly submit to God and to his will. And then resist the enemy and he will flee. You want God to draw near to you? Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. You want to be lifted up and exalted before men and angels? Spend time in the presence of God. Humble yourself by declaring how much you need him. And then demonstrate to the world that he is Lord of all. That he is Lord of all. That he is Lord of all. Friends, he can't be Lord of all if he is not Lord of all. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to be Dr. Seuss up here. He can't be Lord of all unless he's Lord of all. We can't withhold a segment of our life from him and expect him to be Lord of all. He has to be Lord of all. So let's be intentional about demonstrating our love for God. Let's be intentional about demonstrating our love for others. Let's be intentional about putting ourselves in check and building people up and not tearing them down. Let's be intentional about submitting our ways to the Lord in His presence. So now, who's with me? Now who can get behind something like that? Might not bring the kind of profit that a year in Dallas might.
that I promise. It'll bring nothing but good things.